this was the table that we had, and this is the table I will use. So, oh man, it is great to be here tonight. It is great to see all of you here tonight. It really means a lot that you guys took the time out for the week, um, just to spend time with Jesus, with friends, and uh, really, really take just a couple hours of your week to really decompress, leave everything at the door, and say, you know what? I'm going to sit down, I'm going to relax a little, and I'm going to get hyped for Jesus. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is TJ. Yeah, TJ. Hello. Um, a little bit about myself before we get knee-deep into this message. Um, I personally think that Snapchat is overrated. But I do like me a little bit of TikTok. Not going to lie. I'm so sorry. Um, I'd rather make phone calls than have a text message, send a text message any day of my life. Phone calls are so much easier. Um, I quote SpongeBob on the daily, and I have no shame in it, and I have a full group of friends who also do that as well. So thank you. It means a lot. Um, I am also newly married to my beautiful wife, Nicole. You can wave. She back there. Cheers to God for creating basically perfection. I love you. Um, I love joking around. I love having fun. And I also love going super deep. Um, I kind of do a little bit of both. So that's basically what this message is going to be like. So you can strap on in. It's going to be a fun roller coaster. Um, so anyways, I love, love, love this series about truisms. Um, about these things that we need to remind ourselves of often. Right? That's what it said up there. Um, deeper things beyond the phone, wallet, keys. You know what I mean? Like every time I walk out of the house, I'm like, I'm going to forget something. Or, or reminding ourselves of like, man, this isn't a me thing, but some people just forget to flush. And I'm like, how? Um, things like paying bills, showering, doing your homework on time, all these things that you remind yourselves of like time management. Um, but we want, we, we're talking about things that are a little deeper than that. Things that um, it, we don't often slow down to really process and remind ourselves of that have a greater impact um, than what we would believe. And we do this because when things get chaotic and stressful, aka college, right? Full of chaos, full of stress, full of confusion, and then relief, and then more stress, because you're like, mate, I still have more. Um, we constantly lose sight throughout our lives of, of these truths, these deep truths that when we hold on to, um, they, they help um, level us, they help ground us. And um, I'm just really hyped because I get to talk to you guys, and this is one of my favorite, we call them Kalfa truisms, or again, like we said, uh, things you need to remind yourself of often. And it is, boom, put up on the screen, why do you do what you do, and who do you do it for? So I'm going to kind of cut to the chase and let you know that this is all about motive. Um, motives, uh, basically what a motive is, is it's all about the underlying reason why we make decisions that we do. Why did we all come to Edinburgh, where it snows seven months out of the year? Uh, why do we watch Netflix and Hulu? Why do we watch seven seasons of All the Office in a week? Uh, why do we choose the friends that we choose? Uh, why do we choose where we go to dinner? Why did we eat the extra chalupa when I obviously shouldn't have? Um, why do we even ever change out of our sweatpants and our hoodies? Why do, why do we do that kind of stuff, right? So all of these things we do in our life have to do with motive. There's something deeper, something bigger that drives us to do the things we do, right? Um, but sometimes it's not always good things. Sometimes it's bad things. Like why did Ted Bundy kill over 36 women, right? Why did Jim Jones 
uh, lead a cult of 900 people to a suicidal death. I have no idea. Why did 900 people follow him to Guyana in the first place? I have no idea. But we're so interested. We're so fascinated by these people who do radical things, right? We want to know wh- why. Why did he do this? Why, why are these things uh, set up like that? Why were the... Um, uh, why, why, why did he do what he did, right? Why did they do what they did? And we ask these questions because we know people just didn't wake up one day and they're like, you know what? I'm going to take 900 people across the world and kill them. No, they, right? We don't wake up and just uh, hit, have those really crazy dramatic moments in, in those decisions. We know that there are underlying forces, things like pain or memories, these motives that like drive people to do what they do. And maybe it's just me, but... Um, I really love knowing the why. And uh, you can ask anybody in the room who spent time with me. I love knowing the why behind things. It is important. I will probably ask you at least 10 why questions when we go deep because I want to know why. I want to get to like the deep stuff. I want you to ask me why because I want you to get the deep stuff, right? Um, it just, because when you, when you start digging deeper into people's motives, into, into why people are doing it, it, sometimes it can bring healing, right? It can bring healing or relief, um, sometimes grace, when we can understand why people are doing that, uh, the things they're doing, forgiveness, even peace, comfort, it relieves us, right? Um, but sometimes uh, seeing people's motives can also uh, stir up anger, right? When we see that they're impure, when they're selfish, we, we get frustrated, we get really confused, we get bitter, we get really hurt inside, we begin to distrust, disbelieve, and, and resent, right? Uh, we've all kind of experienced that at least once in our life of watching somebody have an impure motive, and how hurt we were when we realized that um, they really didn't actually care about us. They just wanted to hang out with your sibling. Or things like, man, they were really just trying to get to me to get to my best friend to date them, right? Or they liked me because I owned this one thing, right? There's these things. uh, I don't know why I mentioned any of that because I didn't write it down. But there are things like that, right, that we've all experienced that really hurt us when it comes to saying, oh, that was their real motive, Ouch. You know, maybe I am only one of the few, but, you know, this whole gamut of responses um, of, like, people show and reveal their underlying motives, but the hard part is we don't always get to know other people's motives, right? That's the harder part. Why are they trying to become friends with me? Why do they want to get so close to me? Why do they want to know me like this? Why are they asking me to hang out? You know, things like that. We, We question, but the hard part is most of the time we'll never really know. And, uh, it's not the point of the message. Where I really want to drive it down to is, is less about wondering what other people's motives are and becoming a little more introspective tonight. Looking at asking, what are our own motives? Why do you do what you do, and who do you do it for? And why does this even matter? Why does it matter to know this stuff? Why does this introspection uh, make a difference in our lives, right? Um, again, I like asking the why question. A lot of time when I'm writing it, I'm like, but Why? Uh, a lot of the times. And, and for this answer, it's pretty simple. It's because God cares about our motives. Okay. God makes this really clear through Scripture that His concern for us is not what we do, but it's why we do what we do. And so I just want to pull up four quick scriptural references for uh, Samuel 16, 8. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Proverbs 21, 2. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. 
1 Thessalonians 2.4. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our heart. In Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. These are just four quick scriptural examples. There are many more. Um, so why does God care about our motives, though? Why does this matter so much to him? Doesn't he just want us to do good, right? Don't we read all the time, God just wants us to be good, do really nice things, be generous, be kind, love people well, right? So why does God care about why we're doing it? And a lot of us ask this question. A lot of humanity asks the question, why? Why? Right? And I would like to turn and answer that a little for you with a good old quote from an ODG, old dead guy named C.S. Lewis. Very famous. Most of you have probably heard him in the room. He's phenomenal. Anyways, so I have a quote for him, and it says, boom, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, but dead people live. Boom, right? Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. You're like, what the heck does that mean? That's a good question. God's master plan wasn't just to focus merely on how you live, how you act. He wanted to get to the root of the problem. He wanted to dive deep in. He wanted to be that heart surgeon that opened you up and said, this part right in here, this is what's destroying your life, right? It's the motive. It's the heart. That's what we see in scripture in Jeremiah 17 9 it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it right this is painting an uncomfortable picture you're like I'm supposed to follow my heart right and we see that there are desires in there that aren't always meant to be pursued right if we followed everything I feel like a lot more people would be beaten up in my life I'd probably stabbed a couple people and beyond that I really don't know right um but my point is, the Christian faith isn't about doing good and making it to heaven. Not even close. So if you believe that all of your life, I just want to share that with you. Christianity is not about doing good and making it to heaven. That's the philosophy of every other religion. You name every other religion, that's a philosophy. Do good works and you'll make it somewhere good. That's not what God preaches. Because he doesn't care about what you do. He cares about why. Because God's master plan is for life in heart transformation. He wants to get inside and transform everything because he knows the roots. Ephesians 2.1 and Colossians 2.13 explain what this means to be dead. It says we're dead with our trespasses and sins, meaning that when we rebel, when we push away God, it's actually us pushing away the life source of who we are because God designed us. God breathed into us. That is our soul. That is humanity, right? It says in Genesis that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, and that was life. And so when we push away the thing that has given us actual life, we die. Not a physical one immediately, right? We're all still here living. We've all experienced this moment of pushing God away, this life um, this season, or sometimes some of you in here have like done it all of your life, have pushed God to the side, right? But you haven't physically died, but spiritually you have because you're not connected to the source. But God is still lavishing his grace upon you, and I could go on that, but that's not my point. My point is saying here, it explains in 1 John 4, 9, that with Jesus, though, we have life again. So that's the connecting point of saying, right now where you sit, when you push Jesus away, you die internally, 
right? But when you, when you embrace Jesus, when you accept Jesus, learn the teachings and love him well, that brings you back to life. There's so much in you that, that needs to come back that was originally designed. God's purpose for all of creation, including you, your children, you are his children, is to come back to life in the original relationship with him. God's purpose for you wasn't a plan. It was him and you. So I want to ask the even deeper question, why does God care? I feel even uncomfortable saying it. I felt uncomfortable typing it. I felt really uncomfortable looking it up. They're really awkward. I'm like, I'm not really questioning you, Jesus. I'm just genuinely curious. Um, because with the utmost humility and knowledge, I am unable to fully speak of, of an infinite divine being's motives, right? None of us can say that. Uh, we know all of God's motives. We just don't. Um, God is above us. His ways are above our ways, right? Like scripture says, and his thoughts are above our thoughts. And so... Um, I just want to take a moment at least to speak of a motive that we do read in Scripture that I can stand on here and share with you. So I'm about to go a little deeper. If you feel like this is already deep, I'm sorry I didn't warn you. Put on your life vest now. We're going to dive in. Boom. So unlike us humans, we, well, with humans, like us, right, we're all humans in here, we have a mixture of good and evil motives, right? The selfish ones that are like, I want me to be the focus. I want me to be the center. I want me to get all the good stuff from here, right? And we, sometimes we have selfless motives of, I really want to help out my mom. I really want to help out my friends. I really want to help and do things for other people, right? With that selflessness, right? We have a mixture. But here's the awesome part. God's motives are completely pure. All the emotions of his divine mind and the influences that move God to action are of the purest nature. Wow. We never have to question God's motives. I don't know if that relieves you, if it brings any relief, but man, that brings a lot of comfort to me. This is why I keep asking, why? Why did God move so compassionately and so graciously, so mercifully over us? Weren't we the people who said, no, God, it's about me. I'm making it about me. I matter. It's what I get. It's how successful I become. It's how good I can look to others. We clamor to exalt ourselves above God and push him to the side, right? We choose to please ourselves with the self-obsession of determination and pushing forward of saying, I'm going to make the best me that I can be, Right? Why would God want to fix the relationship that we broke in the first place? Why does God desire to live with us? Why does God even care that we spend eternity with him? Why does he care? I can tell you. It is. It is the jewel of the Bible to see the why behind God and why he cares about you. You can put it up. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why did he do what he did? Because he loved the world. And who did he do it for? Romans 5, 8. 
lays it out perfectly. But God demonstrated his own love for who? For us. In that while we were still sinners, while we were still pushing away God, he came and pulled us in close and said, I love you and I'm going to die to build this relationship. Agape. Agape is a Greek word, and in English, we don't have any translation for it that perfectly suits it. Agape. Agape means a selfless love that is passionately committed to the well-being of others. Agape. The passionate, passionate commitment to the well-being of others. The selfless sacrificial love. That is what agape is. And there's some of you here tonight who probably never thought about God's motives, ever. That's fine. And then there's some of you here, it may be a little worse. Maybe you've assumed God's motives based off your own motives. That's scary. Um, But we've all been there, right? We've all done it. You're not alone, so not pointing you out. But I'm here to tell you tonight that God's motive is love. Agape is God's motive. I'm here to tell you that God selflessly and sacrificially loves you and proved it and showed you beyond a shadow of a doubt. He has been with you all of your life trying to show you this love. He has been fighting for you through people, through situations, through, through, through just moments, divine moments of trying to say, I love you. And I'm just trying to show you that I died for you so we can have a relationship. He has proven it. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says, God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. This is the part. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. So we see that there seems to be almost like a natural God-driven response to agape, to this selfless, sacrificial love, right? It's exactly what Jesus spoke of when he was asked, what is our purpose? What is the purpose of life? What is, what is, what is the greatest commandment for us? And he, he replies back, love God, love people. Agape God, agape people. First John reiterates that and explains that we will be motivated, that, that, that we will be driven and compelled by agape to share it with everyone around us through word and through action. So let me ask you again now that we're here. Why are we doing what we're doing? 
And who are we doing it for? Bless you. What is driving you right now? What is the driving force? What is the motive? What is compelling you and pushing you deepest in your life? There are hundreds of circumstances and values and emotions that drive our lives, and we function kind of with a collaboration of them all working together, right? But what is the primary, the deepest force that's driving our lives? What are we driven by? So I'm reading uh, through this like, devotional book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And uh, he has a really good section that talks about um, things that drive us, whether it's a problem, a pressure, a deadline. Uh, maybe it's a painful memory, a haunting fear, an unconscious belief. But I want to share five of the most common motives or driving forces. And I'm going to use my hand as the diagram. Here's my hand. It's so fun. I could not believe this when it came together. I was like, okay, Lord. Okay, so the first one, boom, guilt. You feel that? Right? You didn't do good enough. You weren't home early enough. You didn't get an A. I asked for an A and you gave me a B. Right? There's these deep things that are like welling up now. You sucked at being a boyfriend and a girlfriend, not and, you know? Right? There is these deep things that you begin to feel guilty about. Man, dude, your friend was going through some hard stuff and you just watched it happen. Man, your friend's mom went through cancer and died and you never stood beside them at all through the whole thing. Right? There's these deep things that we experience and we fail at things and then we feel guilt. So then we're driven by the past to overcompensate, to cover over something that we can't fix now. So we're driven by guilt, right? You didn't measure up. You failed. You didn't do good enough. You could have done better, right? There's these things that make you feel so bad, and now you stand here trying to prove to your parents, your friends, your family, to society, wrestling with the internal and sometimes even the external scolding. You scold yourself. Come on. You could have drawn that so much better, Come on, you could have studied so much better, right? And it's just still not enough. How about, I'm going to not stick up my middle finger, but I'm going to stick up my middle finger. Anger and resentment, right? Isn't that what you usually use it for anyways? This drive to get back because we've been wronged is probably the most passionate and aggressive motive that we can run with to prove something to others. Well, I'll show them when I do this or that. Wow, I can't wait to prove to them that I was right. I can't wait to show those high school losers who I became, right? I can't wait to prove to my teachers that I'm better because they called me a failure. We work all of our lives to prove ourselves, believing that one day we're going to be able to rub all of our resentment and anger into their face and say, look it, look it, look it, look it when they just don't care about you at all. They just don't care. That's not going to satisfy your anger and your resentment. And it's just futile and effortless, and it just culminates all of your life with no solution. How about fear? Right? Fear of commitment, fear of failure, fear of going deep, the fear of losing, the fear of 
things that we just don't know about, right? All of this fear prevents us from going everywhere that God wants to take us in the relationship with him and in the world. It boxes you up with you holding the key. And it says, you don't know what's out there. Don't leave, right? And at the end of your life, it's going to haunt you, just like most elderly people. Statistically, they say their biggest regret is that they wish they would have made, they wish they would have taken more risks in their life. And that could be you. How about materialism? Boop. Fancy living. Right? All right. Pinky owned. SpongeBob reference. This obsessive drive to have it all, to have the best when you're just covering up the lack within by surrounding yourself with a surplus and the grandiose of all that life has to offer you on a golden platter. The biggest house, the showiest car, the beautifulest family, the beautifulest, the greatest, the most stylish clothes and shoes, the flashiest Instagram, the most followers that you can get, the more money, the more fame, the better to prove that you are the best that you deserve to be respected for what you've built. Materialism is just parading the deepest insecurity and will lead to an unquenchable thirst for more, always. Because it's deeper than material. It's what you cannot buy, inner healing. You cannot buy inner healing. And then approval, right? Great job. My heart breaks realizing that with this compulsive need of approval, we are forever seeking the thumbs up. We look around craving eyes to just see what we did, to see that we did it right, that we did a great job. We just want praise and we want attention. We avoid certain things so we can stay friends with people. Well, they'll think I'm really weird if they realize I do this or... I'll, I'll do this with them because if I don't, they'll reject me. Or I can't wear this because people will think I'm weird. Or, you know what I mean? If, if I worship in this way, people are going to judge me. You know, all of this type of approval that, that we build within our minds, we're just looking for some pat on the back, saying, job well done. You're doing great. You're the best you. The deepest desire for people's approval, though, leads to a hollow life you never control. You end up living the life everyone else says you should. You let everybody else make the decisions for your life because you want their approval. So it's no longer about what you want. It's about what everybody else wants for you to be the most loved and approved of. And now, maybe none of these resonated with you, and that's totally fine because we all go through different motives, right? Maybe you're driven by security. Maybe you're driven by comfort. Maybe you're driven by power, control, or pressure, stress, pleasure, right? All of these things have factors and can drive us. And it's difficult sometimes to know whether our motives, even when we're trying to do something good, are they pure? Are they good or evil? Are they self-rewarding? Are they selfishly oriented? Because I know I deal with the mixture of both a lot, right? I want people's approval so bad. 
for no reason. I just want people to like me. And then I realized that got boring because then I couldn't be me. That was lame. That was a boring life. So in 11th grade, I decided to make a difference. I called it Fashion Fridays. And I dressed the most flamboyant, crazy outfits that you would ever imagine me wearing. I wore leggings before leggings were a thing with gothic boots, a black button-up, and a red tie around my waist with spiked hair. You want to talk about some weird stuff that I wore? I wore it on Fridays to the point that teachers were asking me, hey, what are you doing this Friday? What are you wearing? What are you dressing up as? I did some weird stuff. You want to know why I did those weird things, though? Because I got tired of people telling me how I should live. I just got tired of it. I got tired of Silas and Paul making fun of me down the hall, calling me a faggot. I got tired of those things because I was like, why am I going to dress to appease somebody that I don't even care about? Why? Why am I living for the approval of people that I genuinely don't love? Right? How many times are we driven by stupid things that take us to dead ends? So, some of you are like, I don't know if my motives are pure. I don't know if they're good. I don't know where they're at. I have no idea, right? I hit those moments. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is right, right, Lord? Um, so, I just want to walk through some questions to ask you um, in those moments when you can self-evaluate and pray. Um, here's a good one. If no one ever knows what you're doing, whether it's giving, serving, or sacrificing, would you still do it? If there was no visible payoff for doing this, would I still do it? Would I joyfully take a lesser position if God asked me to? Ooh. Am I doing this for praise of others or how it makes me feel? If I had to suffer for continuing what God has called me to do, would I continue? If others misunderstand or criticize my actions, will I stop? If those whom I'm serving never show gratitude or repay me in any way, will I still do it? Do I judge my success or failure based upon my faithfulness to what God has asked me to do or how I compare with others? Oof. These hurt me as well. So we can all be hurt together by all of these things, right? It's just admitting that we have selfish motives. It's admitting that we're human, right? So if you're sitting here like, beating yourself up right now, welcome. We shouldn't be beating ourselves up, right? We have Jesus. Um, that's just our flesh. This is what we're learning about, right? That we have those selfish motives, but Jesus says, I can purify those things. All right, I can change them. And so then we ask, what are we supposed to be driven by then? Right? I've listed off all those stuff we shouldn't be driven by primarily, right? Went down a nasty list. Um, but I want to pose a question, okay? I have, I have a question. Does Jesus' motive of agape become our primary motive also as we become more like him? As our hearts align with God, shouldn't our motives as well? Right? Everything aside from agape is a dead end every other driving force in our lives will lead us to unused potential, unnecessary stress, and an unfulfilled life. Ouchie. Unused potential just really hurts me a lot in an unfulfilled life. 
right? And I saw that growing up. I saw my motives were very selfish. I wanted pleasure. I wanted approval, right? So I sought those things out, and it just led me to so many dead ends of just feeling so unfulfilled. And it took me a long time because I was stupid, but Jesus was gracious and patient to say, TJ, that's not it. That, that, that's a wrong motive, man. This is going to take you down some miserable roads. And it did. But I want to leave you guys with some practical advice of how to keep your motives pure, right? Because now you're kind of like, well, how do I do this? And it might be only one simple word that you see up on the screen, but I promise you it'll take you a lifetime to learn. And it is the word surrender. We can keep our motives pure by surrendering every part of our heart to the control and trust in the Holy Spirit. Like it says in the book of Galatians, it's only when we walk in the Spirit, meaning it's only when we walk with Jesus, we learn from Jesus, and we pray. It's where that building that reconnection with God, right? We're, we're building that lifeline again. That's when we begin to have the pure motives of the Father. Because imagine what Edinburgh would look like. Imagine what our campus would look like even if us in this room decided to express agape love to everyone around us. How radically generous our community would look, saying, you know what, I'm gonna take care of you. You know what, I'm gonna, I wanna help you out. I know you can't help me back. I'm not looking for that, right? How, how crazy is it to think about that uncomfortable feeling of, wait, there's no strings attached, right? Isn't it kind of awkward where you're like, no, there has to be some underlying motive. But imagine if there wasn't. Imagine the abundant joy and compassion we would have, people would have for one another if we chose to live and express agape, serving everyone as we would love to be served, right? Serving not because we want to be served, but be serving because there is someone higher who has already served us before, right? And that's why we're moved. And so the band can come up at this, at this point. And um, as this song begins to play, I just want to give you an opportunity, each one of you an opportunity to go before the Lord and be honest, since we know that He already knows. I have a really big line, and I love this line, and so I know that the band is going up there, but please hear me. Please, please, please. It would mean a lot if you just listened to me for 10 seconds. How comforting is this truth? The God of the universe is not hindered by your motives or your desires, how wicked they are, how selfish they are, how confusing and, and unsure they are, God is not intimidated. God actually comes in closer, right? He knows you and is still passionately, sacrificially in love with you. God knows all of it. And that can be a little intimidating, but also so, so relieving to know God already knows it, so you don't have to hide anything because God still loves you and he's already seen it all because his deepest desire in this relationship is for you to come back to life and to be transformed from, your, from the self-deprecating and self-harming motives that we think are so good. He wants us to be overflowing with his love and driven by love.
So when you've prayed, um, I'm going to put this up here. And in this little basket, there are little wooden hearts. Just like this. Simple, tiny, easy to carry. And I want you to grab it. And I have it written on the card up here of what to do. So it's okay if you forget. But I want you to write on one side, agape God. And I want you to write on the other side, agape all. Because these, this is the greatest purpose for your life. That you will find the fullest satisfaction that you've been longing for. The greatest purpose you could ever live for. And it reminds us as we hold one thing that it's two sides, but one and the same. To love God is to love and serve all. And to love and serve all is to express the love that we have for God. And this is why we do it. This marks our faith. Agape God, agape all. So when you leave tonight, I want you to take this little heart. I want you to put it somewhere where you get ready in the morning. And I want you to have it sit there and every morning when you see it, I want, I want you to just to, to, to ponder what we've talked about tonight. By we, I mean me. Sorry. What, what I have talked to you guys about. Because I want this little wooden heart to remind you that your purpose is not a plan, it's a person. Your purpose is to be with God forever. And that's all God desires. And he's went to the end of the earth, to hell and back for you. Because he loves you, and he wants that relationship. You were made out of love, saved because of love, and transformed to love, to agape. So I want you to ask yourself when you see this heart, why am I doing what I'm doing, and who am I doing it for? May we be driven to constantly, or may we desire to constantly be driven by love. Why do we do what we do? Because of agape, love. And who do we do it for? God, the one who showed agape to us. So you can stand, I will pray, and then when you are ready, you can come up here and write on these little wooden hearts, and they are all yours. So Jesus, we just come before you tonight, and we just want to thank you, first off, for your grace in your mercy. I want to thank you for your compassion that you've constantly poured out through our entire lives. Help us to see it if we can't. Increase our faith if we have none or a little. God, help us to see your love and compassion in our lives and to not be scared, to not be intimidated of what's to come or what this relationship with you looks like. But God, may we be excited and encouraged to know that you love us beyond any capacity. Your love is limitless for us. So God, I pray tonight that we are compelled by agape to express this beyond this room and beyond ourselves, that we can't help but to share such good, free, selfless love. God, I pray that tonight we are transformed from the inside out, and God, that we may never have to live with poor motives or motives that will lead us to a dead end. But God, may we live the driven, the purpose, the purposeful life that you've given us to love you and to love all. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.